Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. The 1940 college football season might be one of the most exciting to date at that point in time. Maybe one of the most exciting and competitive in college football history. Six teams vying for the championship. Who were they going to pick? We've got that Heisman Trophy winner. Great plays and great players coming up in just a moment. Football History Rewind, part number 83. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to the Football History Rewind, part number 83, as we will talk about the 1940 college football season in our trek through year by year of football, the history of football. We talk about the college and the pro game in separate instances. So our next episode of Football History Rewind will be about the 1940 NFL and professional football season. But this is for the amateurs, the college football season. And there's a lot of stuff that happened uh, during 1940. It was right on the brink of some major changes. And we'll get to that in a later episode. But before we talk about 1940 and a college football season, let's make sure you're aware of our newsletter. It comes out each and every day at 6.30 a.m. Eastern. It's totally free. You can cancel at any time. And what it brings is into your email inbox all the great history of the day in all the four major sports of American uh, athleticism. And you're going to go back in time and read about some of the great heroes and games and Hall of Famers that were born that day, as well as some other great articles and content that we have coming up on Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch, as well as Orville Mulligan. And we also share some items from the Sports History Network as well, and some of our other friends too. We try to put some of those things in too, just to give you a well-rounded start to your day right off the bat with some great sports history. Speaking of sports history, well, let's get into that 1940 college football season and what a season it was. Let's start off with some rule changes that they had. Now, first of all, our our records indicate that the the chairman of the NCAA Football Rules Committee was Walter R. Okeson. He was there from 1932 to 1943 serving in that capacity. And the committee that he chaired during this time focused on two items in making the revisions. And this is a direct correlation to Okeson's 
theorem and his uh, philosophy on football rules. And it's a good philosophy. Number one was to make the game safer for the participants. You know, player safety is at the utmost uh, for any rules era since then, uh, probably before that too, because you don't want the players to get hurt. That's your, your biggest commodity. And, and Walter uh, definitely understood that and recognized that as well as the rest of the committee. And the second item, they were trying to make the playing field level between the offensive and defensive units that wasn't always true in football one or the other unit had a big advantage and it would make it so it was unbalanced and awkward and just not an enjoyable game to watch so the more balanced it is the better the game is and they recognized that back in 1940 so this is the process that was described uh, in some texts that I've, I've read about this 1940 season, the committee would sift uh, through some many suggestions that would come from reputable folks like coaches and athletic directors, uh, maybe some players and some of the committee members themselves on what changes they could do in the areas of player safety or making a more balanced game. And then they would take and reflect to see Make sure if they did change that, it would not upset the basic integrity of the game uh, of the sport that it is. So they had they were very careful in going through these things. So first of all, they looked at substitutions, and they were still in the era of you substituted very infrequently. They didn't allow it. They were, basically adopting the rules of soccer so you only got to go in for one time during a half if you got taken out during a half you were not allowed to return uh, that same player it's similar to what you know baseball is for a whole game once you sub you're out uh, very similar to that we're a little bit of time away before we have free substitution we'll get to that in a later episode uh, also pass interference was looked at they were trying to redefine what passive interference was and clarified and tightening the rules and promoting a little bit more physical game and offsides during a kick again trying to make that kicking game a little bit more fair and you know, trying to control the kicking game that's the wildest part of the game of football is uh, you know, that's when the crazy stuff happens and they were also looking to seek and inject pace and excitement in the game. 1940 introduced a, a reasonable time rule, effectively outlawing plotting scrum plays that had bogged down college football for years. So you had to try to advance the ball to the line of scrimmage in a reasonable amount of time. You couldn't you know, stay back behind the line and, and you know, I don't know what you do, run around, nobody could tackle you or you know, go, go into a major scrum. So you have to try to advance the ball or they stop it. That's sort of what's evolved into our forward progress rule. When forward progress is stopped, the play stops. I think that's sort of, it morphed into it eventually. Not 1940, but it started getting that way uh, then. So then we had an exciting race. We had a national championship that was awarded, uh, you know, we just, the AP poll had started a year before we talked about that. That was a big way of determining the poll and the coaches voting and, and, and that. So there was a, like a six-way run of teams that were really in it for that national championship and made some very difficult decisions uh, for both the voters in the AP poll and 
others that were trying to make decisions. And even retroactively, it's hard to look, go back and look at this and say, okay, who really was that national champion? So the six teams that were in question, first of all, we had the, the Texas A&M Aggies football team. The Aggies ended up finishing with a record of 9-1, and one, and they had defeated Fordham University uh, in the 1941 Cotton Bowl Classic at the end of the season. Their star player was fullback John Kimbrough, and he was a unanimous pick for the 1940 All-America team, but they had a fantastic season at AM and they had their claims up there to see if possibly they could be the national champions. Their only loss was at Texas right at the end of the regular season in November 28th, and they lost that game by a touchdown, seven to nothing to the Longhorns. So definitely a claim, but they had a loss in there, so that was a strike against them. The Boston College Eagles also had a tremendous season. They were in their final season under coach Frank Leahy. Uh, the Eagles combined a perfect 11-0 record for Coach Leahy, including a 19-13 victory over number four Tennessee in the Sugar Bowl. And their big player was Gene Goodroll, and he was a consensus pick on the All-American team. So Boston College, definitely in there for consideration. Now that Tennessee Vols team that they defeated also had excellent uh, you know, play under coach Robert Nayland. And they made it all the way to the Sugar Bowl and, and faced the Boston College Eagles and lost in that, that close game. Now, the Vols before the Sugar Bowl were 10-0 in the regular season, and they, they were selected as the national champions by the Dunkel system. Their big player was Bob Suffrage. He was a unanimous pick for the 1940 All-American team. Remember, the national champion was picked before bowl season. That's why we're saying they were 10-0 before the bowl, and that's how they made Tennessee made it in the Dunkel system as the you know, champions. And remember, the Dunkel system was a mathematical system in that era that the, before the AP poll was sort of selecting uh, national championships. So the Michigan Wolverines also were a tremendous team. They were a team on the rise. Coach Fritz Kreisler was at the helm, and the Wolverines had a 7-1 and record. Its only loss came against the, what would become the national champion, Minnesota Golden Golfers, and we'll talk about them in a second. But that game score was 7-6 to against Minnesota. The stars for the Wolverines, Tom Harmon, ended up winning the Heisman Trophy and the Maxwell Award, and he shared the backfield with a tremendous player uh, in his own right, Forrest Wyszewski and fullback Bob Westfall. And that tandem was a tremendous offensive power. Fritz Chrysler was a genius, as we know, at uh, you know offensive development and really got his teams fired up and ready to play. And uh, you know that uh, Minnesota was really good, and we'll bring them up next. They were coached under uh, Bernie Bierman, and the Gophers were 8-0 in the season, won the Big Ten Championship, outscored their opponents by the total of 154-71. to Their big player was halfback George Frank. He was the star, consensus All-American. He was uh, third in the Heisman Trophy race, and they also had a really good signal caller, Bob Poffroth, and he was selected as the team's most valuable player uh, by the Minnesota constituents, and uh, they were ended up being the national champions 
uh, voted by the Associated Press were the Golden Gophers. One team that really had a, a, another strong claim against them to be the national champions was the Stanford Indians. You know, of course, later we know that Stanford would be the Cardinal, but right now in 1940, they're still the Indians football team. Clark Shaughnessy was the leader and the head coach of Stanford. Uh, that team had a 10-0 record, including a victory over number seven, Nebraska, in the Rose Bowl in 1941. We cover that on our Rose Bowl uh, salutes that we did a year ago, and we're still running them, and you can find those on the front pages of Pigskin Dispatch. Uh, the final AP poll uh, was conducted just before the Rose Bowl with Stanford receiving 44 place, first place votes. Uh, and they trailed Minnesota's 65 votes. Uh, Stanford was selected as national champions, though, by the polling system and the Williamson system and retroactively by the Helms Foundation and the Billingsley Report. So quite a few choosing Stanford. You know, we had, uh, of course, the AP choosing uh, Minnesota. The, the Wolverines lost to Minnesota, so they're sort of out. The Vols have a loss to Boston College. They're out. Boston College is undefeated. And, uh, you know, they probably could have some claims to say, hey, we are the national champions too. And A&M, well, they had one loss, uh, but they did defeat Fordham. So very uh, interesting uh, in that whole thing. Now, the Tip Top 25 website, which we always like to look at and see what their take is on uh, the whole thing, they've got some interesting picks. First of all, they add into the fray uh, Washington, the Huskies, uh, they en who ended up uh, winning the PCC title. And uh, Stanford and Washington had a, a really good game and uh, ended up playing uh, to a very close score. And ended up, Stanford ended up winning that on a controversial touchdown for a 14 to 10 victory uh, over the Huskies. And so they had some claims to fame, but Stanford had beaten them. So that sort of knocked them out of contention, uh, according to you know everybody. And also Holy Cross got to uh, get into the tip top 25 with an impressive uh, showing that they had on the season and won some big games as well. So it comes down to who is the winner of that. now. Tip Top 25 brings a case for Boston College and they talk about it, you know, because they were undefeated. They beat a highly ranked Tennessee team in the bowl game, which they weren't considering the bowl games back in the era, but retroactively uh, Tip Top 25 is. And so it ends up coming into what they think is a uh, it's a three-way tie basically between Minnesota, Stanford, and and then Boston College in third place. Uh, some look at it, you know, maybe it's number one Stanford, number two Minnesota, Boston College in third. But every single poll and the way they look at it, except for one, Boston College is third in that with either trailing Minnesota or Stanford. Out of the five that they pick, Minnesota wins four, and. Uh, you know, the one, well, one of those four is they're tied with Stanford. So Minnesota, maybe they got it right uh, in picking Minnesota as the top team. And beating a tough Michigan team uh, by one point, that is no small feat in itself. So great uh, job on that. Now, talking about Clark Shaughnessy, 
Now he introduced the T formation in 1940, revolutionized college football, and still the basis for the game today. So it was a big event for that. As we said, Michigan's Tom Harmon won the Heisman Trophy, talented quarterback and back known for scrambling ability and passing accuracy, won that Heisman Trophy. Uh, the biggest upset of the year was Tennessee defeating Duke 13 to nothing, and Northwestern had a surprising win over Syracuse. And the rivalries of Michigan and Ohio State and Army-Navy, well, they remained fiercely contested. And, of course, that Michigan-Minnesota game was a fantastic game, uh, one-to-one point, so that would be would have been a great one to see that year. Um, and there was some changes with the first down and some scoring uh, across the league was greatly increased. Dominant teams averaged just over 20 points per game, showcasing the evolving offensive strategy of that era. And the, the uh, T formation was one that was really starting to bring it. There's still a lot of teams playing a single wing, uh, but that T formation is coming on strong and going to put some scoring and put some fannies in the seats that watch those games. And you know, for an individual performance, uh, some, some keys besides Harmon doing what he did. Stanford's Don Clark uh, for passing yards, and Boston College's Al Coop for a lot of rushing yards and some fantastic things as, that they did there. So that is your 1940 college football season with some great teams, some great players, some legendary formations and coaches, and changes are about to really start happening. I can't emphasize that enough. I'm so excited to talk about 1941, but we still have to talk about the professional football season. That'll be the next episode of the Football History Rewind, but we have some other great Pigskin Dispatch episodes coming up in between. So till next time, have a great gridiron day. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. A special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right?
Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.